Flood Media acknowledges the Yagara and Turrbal people upon whose land we live. Dispossession of common land is crucial to capitalism, and we share material interests with Indigenous movements for justice and for self-determination. This The situation now is even worse. Flood is not above the poverty line. Let's just start and we'll just have a free-form conversation and see where it goes. Um, welcome to the Floodcast. And this is a uh, – I'm Joe and – I'm Declan. Declan. Um, we're going to be talking <laughs> – this is like a podcast that I find personally embarrassing, but we're still going to do it. <laughs> I need to clarify that it was Declan's idea, <laughs> not mine. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, you were maybe waiting for me to be like, should we do this? <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, I mean, if you insist. Yeah. <laughs> I tease, I tease. Could, to my publisher's absolute dismay, I'm sort of like very um, cringing about all things book promotion. However, um, I have recently published a novel, as many listeners will know. Um, um, and Floodcast has a long standing policy of always discussing the publication of a book of any of its members. Yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, it's actually written in our founding documents. So we had no choice but to do this podcast about my book. And um, if you don't want to listen, um, that's cool, because I guess it's a bit of a departure from our regularly programmed content. Um, although, you know, I think we'll be doing a bit of a political reading somewhat or trying to talk about, I guess, the politics of the book a bit. Um, and uh, we'll also be doing some pretty major spoilers like I guess if you haven't read the novel uh, oh, which um, which is called Between You and Me and is out now in all good bookstores um, yeah if you haven't read it or like if you're planning to read it and you really care about spoilers um, I guess don't listen until later how was um how was writing a book yeah I felt like because I remember when you were showing people drafts and I got one and I was going to read it but I was too scarred by reading bad drafts <laughs> of other people's books at other points yeah. in my life that I got around to it um, and then when I actually read it, like, when it was published, it felt, it was such a relief being like, oh, I like it. Like, I don't yeah. have anything mean to say, or like, I don't know, you know, I, I don't have to, like, find a way of talking about it seriously so that, like, the person knows I respect them as, like, as, an, as a person without, like, while trying to dodge around being like, that I actually don't rate it, um, which is yeah. an experience I've had quite a lot of. And it was really good just being like, oh, I can talk about it seriously be like, well, because I enjoyed it and it was good. I don't know. Like, I guess I've, one surprising thing that I will say is that I don't really care that much if people don't like it. Like, I know that my friends feel that weird tension of, like, having to say something nice. And I wish there was some magic button I could press that would reassure them, like, I genuinely don't mind if you don't like it. Like, I don't, I don't have, like, an expectation or... There's not a lot riding on it for me if if you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because it is. It's really. I understand how it like it. It is good work, and you've been working at writing for ages, and you've like you know self self confessedly written some pretty average stuff before. Yeah. That being yeah. like, oh, but I, I'm pleased with where this is at. I'm pleased with where I'm at in my craft is a very nice feeling, I imagine. Yeah, it is a nice feeling. Um, yeah, I mean. I wish I could say that that means that I don't at all care about like success in the traditional publishing world, which is definitely not the case because I also think an interesting thing about being like further into the professionalization of writing or whatever is that um, uh, people who haven't like been in that world tend to see getting a book published as like the thing that makes you a success. Um, Whereas if you, once you've done that, then you just kind of move on to worrying about, like, what if it doesn't sell? <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm sure if you have really good sales and you worry about, like, what um, like what shortlists or longlists for awards it's going to get on, and then you worry about your next book, and it's just, like, on and on and on and constant. So uh, lest I sound like I am, like, in a, you know, self-contented you know, and self-assured place, um, not necessarily the case. Yeah. But <laughs> you just I wish do, to remind know. the audience that you were, in fact, not chill. <laughs> yeah um however like i'm you know i'm i'm still proud of this book so i was i'm really glad that you connected with it definitely. yeah well i don't know it's difficult like i wonder how much i connected with it um like it's it's difficult to separate how much i connected with it as a novel kind of 
that that speaks to like my kind of like world in a way mm. and how much of it is because like aspects of the like the grammar of the characters and stuff like this are kind of you know recognizing this or that conversation not like specific conversation but just like people's tones or whatever in this kind of sentence or that kind of sentence like someone being described as a classic firm handshake guy <laughs> is like you, you can feel that sort of language kind of like emerging out of a social group and then entering yeah. into the book so like how much I connected with it because it was written specifically just for me um, <laughs> versus because it was written for you know down on the mobile millennials in Brisbane yeah well I did read a review the other day um, that someone wrote that was like uh, I can't remember exactly now what the wording was, but it was something like, um, you know, her, her, my uh, writing is very, very closely attuned to Australian youth culture. And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> this is the first and last time anyone's going to say that I'm cool, basically. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm closely connected to Australian youth culture. <laughs> Some have said that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I should put that in my Twitter. Yeah, bio. it's very Actually, funny. Actually, um, so shall we talk a bit about like what the book's actually about and then um, maybe, you know, we can throw around some of our um, impressions of the characters and like what happens yeah, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like some of the other, one of the other interesting things about publishing a novel is reading or hearing about what other people thought of it. Some yeah. of their interpretations are completely different to what I thought, like while I was writing it. But at the same time, like, Honestly, that doesn't bother me. I find it really interesting. Oh, can um, we talk about the publishing industry for a second first? Oh, Just sure, like what yeah. you like, have you what what you've learned about it? How does it work in the the world? Because it's one of those things that's completely obscured from from a normie. Mm. Has it yeah. has it been much of a re- revelation? Like, kind of the process of transforming into someone who's written a few like average manuscripts to someone who's <laughs> written like a good manuscript that then gets picked up and published. Um, I think. I don't know. Like, I, I yeah, I didn't really have any connection with the publishing industry at all before I submitted this book. Um, had you submitted other books before? No, no. Yeah. yeah so, well, look like, at you, hundred percent. Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, like, yeah, I I, um, I had written novels before that were like really bad, just practice novels. Like, I think everyone, probably every writer, has those. Um, should but have no. those at least. Yeah, should. <laughs> uh, but no, had never like dipped my toes into the into the waters of the publishing world. Um, one interesting thing that I have learned is like everyone tells you beforehand. It's a bit of a truism that gets passed around in writer circles. Like you know, taste is subjective and publishing is subjective. But it it really is so incredibly subjective. Like it is literally when you're trying to get a book published, you are literally just trying to appeal to like. Well, first you're trying to appeal to one person's taste in like getting an agent probably. And then you're just trying to appeal to someone's taste <laughs> in getting like an editor to publish it. Um, and then usually, you know, it's not solely their decision. They'll need to pass it through their colleagues before um, they actually acquire it. But it really is like what what one person will just love. Another person just won't be interested in it at all. Um, an interesting story um, back in, let me think, like early 2021, um, before I got my agent and before the book was like submitted to any publishers, um, there was a competition that I entered it into and like the prize wasn't even publication. It was like, oh, if you go through this manuscript development program and if you make it to the end and you're like one of our top 10 or something, then you get like a match um, meeting or interview with like an agent or publisher who, you know, basically it's like getting your foot in the door. So I was like, all right, I may as well enter this. So I entered in the first 50 pages. Then like soon after that, I actually ended up getting like signing with my agent. So I got in touch with them and I was like, um, said, can I please withdraw? Because like basically I don't need this competition anymore. And they were like, sure. And then like time went on and I kept getting emails from them like about the competition. So I emailed again and I was like, hey, I just wanted to make sure that like you know that I withdrew because I don't want you to like go through the trouble of reading my entry please can you confirm that I've withdrawn and they were like yeah sure anyway like the competition long list came out and I wasn't on it so I was like great moving on and then my agent submitted it to submitted the manuscript to publishers at the same time and, and one of them picked it up and like on the morning that we got the official offer memo I got a phone call from the people at the competition and they were like oh yeah so 
just, you know, you, you didn't, you weren't successful in making it through to like the next round. <laughs> Incredible. And I was like, um, I tried like five times to withdraw. I told you so many times I didn't want to be in this competition. I've just literally sold my, my manuscript to a publisher and I didn't even make it through to the second round in this competition. So that was That's like- That's so funny. It's so it was, bizarre. Yeah. But it's just a great illustration of yeah how like a manuscript that obviously like one publisher um, really loved- these people at the competition were like, nah, it's not even good enough to make it into the second round. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the main thing I've learned. Um, and it's kind of, which makes it a sort of insane industry because it is in no way a meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of falls into place or it doesn't. Yeah. Are there many publishers? Like, I don't know, how, how do they make money? It just doesn't seem yeah, right. I don't know, actually. I don't know that much about the business side from their perspective. Um, Australia does have quite a few publishers. Like, I think if you're trying to get a book published in the US um, and, you know, you want it to be decently distributed and, like, reviewed and stuff, there's, like, the big five, basically. But in Australia, we have a lot of independent publishers. Um, We have a pretty healthy ecosystem, I would say. Um, But, you know, there also, there's, like, yeah, there's no money in it. Um, There was, like, a spreadsheet or something that came out a few years ago, like, where people had... Who worked in publishing had anonymously entered in their salaries and it was like really low so yeah i don't know like i don't think anyone's really making money <laughs> certainly not writers <laughs> i've always i don't know when i look at the this is kind of politics chat but like when i look at the uk or the us i'm always really like jealous that they've got this kind of left like left institutions that are like radical publishers and this and looking around australia and being like well there's just no one publishing any decent research about Australia really and like no. what's going on in Australia so it's interesting to hear that we've got like a strong like literary scene but for fiction I would say yeah a lot of these publishers aren't touching politics or theoretical work yeah cowards um all right well now we can talk about the book okay. now that I've learned about that. <laughs> let's get that out of the way <laughs> you should um you should describe it because you obviously are more familiar with it than me all right well um yeah so the novel um is about uh, two young women, like both of whom are the narrators, I guess, or the protagonists. Or they, yeah, they, they both narrate sections alternately, um, Mari and Elizabeth. And they're like very much based, I suppose, on what kind of life I was living at the time when I wrote it and the sort of lives that my friends were leading. And which is to say that they're like kind of educated but precarious. Like they certainly don't have anything like resembling a proper career. They're living in share houses in West End and kind of like bumming around a lot. Um but, you know, their lives are actually like quite a lot of fun. Like um they're, you know, taking drugs in people's back gardens and kind of making like poor sexual decisions and things. So they're sort of it's a bit of an extended adolescence in some ways. Um uh, their lives at the at the start of the novel because they're both 25 um, have sort of recently graduated but they're sort of in this limbo state where their their adult real adult lives haven't begun and then they meet this um, the third main character in the book who's called Jack who's an academic historian um, he's about 20 years older than them and um, well, I, I, <laughs> I'd love to talk about his character because he's so divisive. Um, yeah, Jack rules. He gets a hard, he's got a, quite a hard time from um, from people discussing yeah. the book that I've heard, which I think is unfair. Well, yeah, let, we can we can jump into that. But um, I guess his character is written. Um, so so they both sort of become kind of like romantically involved in different ways with him, not at the same time, um, but also like through their involvement with him. Um, their relationship with one another sort of develops in interesting ways and not always positive ways. Uh, And so he becomes this sort of stage or he says himself at one point, like his sort of stage in which they play out a lot of their personal dramas. But, um, you know, all three of them are sort of drawn together at this turning point in their lives because for the, for Mari and Elizabeth, like, yeah, he represents um, a sort of version of adulthood that they aspire to in some ways or that feels very far away from them. Whereas to to him, they are, um, you know, like he's kind of having a classic midlife crisis in a way. Like he's kind of envious of how young and free they are. Um, Yeah, like their capacity to enjoy life is just so much more than his. Oh, yeah, big time. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that kind of three of them have these different configurations in their relationships over the course of about eight years. Um, We'll probably, as I say, get into some spoilers as we talk, but that's basically the setup of the novel. Um, so yeah, well, actually, 
why don't you tell me like what your impressions were of the characters? I'd be interested to hear like how they aligned with my own. Something I like thought back to a couple of times, like in the few days after I'd read it was the, like the three characters all at various points in the book describe when they first met and how different, how they all describe it differently. I think really says a lot about their characters where like, I think it's narrated potentially from Mary's point of view first. Um, and she's talking, you know, she's, she finds the, the whole like meeting this, like good looking, like, like older, older academic at some university function as like, you know, kind of boring. She's, she's like engaging with the, the social situation kind of in this offhand way where she's, she doesn't feel particularly invested in it. She's a little bit bored by it. And later the other characters are describing her as like taking over the conversation and very like, like gregarious, I guess. Um, And I liked that. I think I I liked, I liked Mary a lot in the way, like the difference between how she understood herself and how she was read by the world, I thought was really interesting and enjoyable. Yeah. That's interesting because that was something my publisher was like, um, sort of suss on or like, so for people who haven't, I guess, published a novel, like the editing process you go through is um, like you get a, a first round of what's called like a structural edit, which is where your publisher, like usually the person who actually acquired your book um, in the publishing house will write you like a long letter um, saying first, like, you know, saying how great you are and then going into all the things that need to be changed in the novel. Um, and one of the things she said was like, I, you know, find that Mari's, um, vision of her her understanding of herself is so different to what other people how other people see her and that needs to be like more closely aligned um so i think i, I did bring it a little bit more into alignment or i made that a, a bit more coherent but at the same time i didn't want to fully give that up because i think it's key to her character in some ways that she doesn't actually know herself like she's a bit alienated from herself the whole way through well and i think like the fascination that elizabeth has with her and elizabeth's friendship with her doesn't make sense with Mary's sense of self and and I think that which means that their whole relationship doesn't make sense because Mary's inability to kind of grasp like inability to know herself is such an important part of that relationship um yeah I think yeah it had had to be there for the characters to work coherently I think like for Elizabeth's fascination to hold true there has to be this lack of self-esteem in Mary I think yeah big time I mean that's kind of where like their sort of power dynamic comes from it's good stuff. Um, Elizabeth, I found a bit more to be more of a dickhead. Like I found her <laughs> yeah, less everyone's sympathetic. Like an <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think she's lovely in her own ways, right? Like people are complicated. Um, but yeah, she was clearly less sympathetic to me. But I think was very good at, I guess, kind of showing that showing like how downwardly mobile class is. Like even though I think she's probably probably like better academically. Um, educated than her parents like has had more of this kind of like I guess like like social capital investment in terms of university etc personal capital rather um, but is, is unable to like like translate that into any sort of material life and Jack I um, don't want to fall into the trap of saying I related to him too much because I think it's uh, a very revealing and, and unhappy place to say as a man but I like I found like the way he was unable to like like grow up and gr- take any responsibility for his well-being and the way he lived his life was like was very easy to understand like very easy like very relatable very sympathetic in a way even if his behavior necessarily wasn't yeah totally i mean just as you were talking then i was like jack if he were born in a different generation he'd just be a fail son um but because he was born his gen-, gen x really like he kind of fell into the last generational moment where you could yeah as you say like refuse to grow up take zero responsibility coast through life um simply sort of take the easy way out in every single one of your relationships and interactions with the world and still come out on top and honestly like some of the stuff in the novel i i guess you have to suspend disbelief a little bit like like the fact that he's you know um his tenure track or he has a continuing academic appointment even though he's 44 like that probably wouldn't happen these days even for people of that generation like that's really the previous generation would have got those cushy academic jobs um 
but he's still... But there are still people of that age who, who have that sort of career. Like, it's it's less common, sure, but, like, it's not it's not unheard yeah, of. Yeah, um, but he's in that position. He owns his apartment in West End. He's financially very comfortable. And, um, yeah, he's but he's never done anything to deserve it, which is, I think, why people hate... Part of why people hate him so much. Yeah, I think people do hate him for that. Like, I think, I think everyone is jealous that, like... I mean, look, why wouldn't you be jealous? The guy, like, apparently fucks like Adonis and just like follow <laughs> takes the path of least resistance like he's just water flowing downhill and he's just like com- but consistently kissed on the dick by life the whole way through and nothing bad ever really happens it's like and he's you know never takes responsibility for himself like it's very like it's very easy to be like you know what fuck you man like you don't deserve this but at the same time like i i don't think he's actually personally a bad person like this is an interesting tension that um no, no, he's not. He's not a bad person. He's just, he's just like a, he's just immature. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't take responsibility for anything. But that's fine. But like, this is fine. like an interesting tension that you know I'm only really just working through now in my own mind as we're talking. Like, um, the difference between having the conditions of your life set up in such a way that like you always come out on top even though you really don't deserve it, and being personally like a morally bad person is different. And I don't think, um. Like, a lot of the people who hate Jack, and I've had a lot of readers being like, this guy is the worst ever. Like, I just fucking hate him. Um, and I've always been like, oh, you know, I don't really hate him. Like, I, and I don't know whether that's because I have this sort of maternal, authorial instinct towards him. Um, but I, I don't, act, you know, I, I don't think he actually acts with personal malice. Um, no, no, Jack did nothing wrong. He just, just doesn't deserve to have it so fucking yeah. good and still be like, oh, you know, God, I suck. He's on, the, he's on the sort of, he's continually on the right end of the equation, even when he doesn't deserve it. And he doesn't deserve it most of the time. And, um, you yeah, know, that's kind of just life. But that that's a structural issue, not a personal one. I don't know. I think maybe in the way that a lot of people read fiction these days, it's hard to distinguish those. Or maybe this is something that we don't really distinguish very much. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Like a lot of fiction is set up to kind of be a little bit of a moral tale, which I appreciated that this wasn't really set up to do. Because I also meant that I thought that that made it much more illustrative of of the way class and gender in particular and generation, the way that generation is really like working through class and gender in these really interesting ways to to establish these like and how those structures kind of affect people's lives. Whereas if it was a bit more of a uh, a moral tale, I don't think it would have done that. It would have set Jack up as this kind of, like, powerful older white man who takes advantage of these, like, you know, more vulnerable young women. But I feel like both young women were far more in charge of the situation than, than he ever was. He just let himself, you know, go flow downhill because that's all he ever does. Totally. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of um, one of the things I had in mind when I was writing it was, like, God, I'm fucking sick of just reading all these novels where, like, these poor young women get exploited by terrible men. Like, um, you know, those things do happen in life, like, for sure. Those stories exist. But I guess as a fiction writer, that's not really what I'm interested in writing about because it's so one-dimensional in a way. Like, I'm more interested in kind of grey areas and relationships where people, I guess, where people, where both parties are more equally participating in whatever goes down. Um, and so there were, I was very conscious when I was writing it. And I wasn't conscious of actually a lot of things because, you know, I just actually wanted to write an interesting story and got, like, interested and in, in involved in these characters and wanted to see what happened. But one of the things I was conscious of was, like, I don't want these two women to be, like, the victims in this novel because I, like, A, I think it's not really very interesting to write about and, B, I'm not sure that it's super realistic. And, like you said, it also just portrays it paints this yeah a moral moral picture which i guess is just not the sort of fiction that i'm interested in reading myself and also i think what it what not doing that allows you to do is to get a much more interesting understanding of how these structures like like race and gender uh like how gender and class rather actually manifest outside of these like explicit examples of of abuse because like obviously like that's the that's the far end of the of how patriarchy affects women right is like men like commit violence against them but there's like the way that he gets to coast through life in this really great way whereas like i think i think i said to you at some point that um mary and jack are like this really interesting mirror because she's a young woman and he's an older man and 
he just coasts through life getting kissed on the dick and every single time something happens it just blows up in Mary's face. Yeah, it does, yeah. And the way that kind of... The, the way that kind of makes a claim about, like, how these structures of, of class and gender, like, manifest through these characters outside of these extreme examples of of bastardry is much more interesting and much more, I think, illustrative of how most people actually experience those structures in their life. Uh, and also, like, they're not actually aware of this necessarily. Like, so, yeah, for, I guess a spoiler for people who haven't read the novel is that about halfway through, Mari falls accidentally pregnant and she keeps the baby for, you know... Reasons that really she, even she doesn't fully understand. She's quite a self-destructive. She's a she's a passive person actually. Um, you know, things happen to her and she feels powerless to do anything about it. Which is which is true because that's exactly like Jack. Like he's he's also exactly like that. He is pa- like he's a, also a really passive person, but because of his position, he's not powerless to kind of affect what happens. Yeah, exactly. So like yeah, her her keeping this pregnancy which Jack later sort of tries to spin into this narrative of, like, oh, woe is me. Like, you know, he, he loves the, – the child they end up having is actually – turns out to be, like, kind of one of the best things that's ever happened to him, and he, he loves her, but um, he still feels kind of hard done by that he got no choice in the matter. Uh, however, like, yeah, it doesn't affect his life anywhere near as drastically as it does Mari's. Like, she has a super hard time, um, you know, like, suffers very badly um, after the baby's born, like – loses all her friends which basically. i thought you wrote really really well actually for someone who hasn't i guess like been part of the like seeing a, a, a child born i was really impressed by how well you wrote thanks that. and i remember writing that scene and, and kind of being like mm, i hope this is right um but yeah to get back to the point yeah so she's has a super traumatic birth and then like really has a hard time after the baby's born and um sort of i guess after that her life is never the same like she kind of loses out on a lot of the experiences that you know so other people her age are having elizabeth's off kind of being a free spirit in, in south america and mari's kind of stuck in this domestic situation that she didn't really ever want or think about and it's it's really tough for her but yeah for jack because i guess he's a man he's had his or she even says at one point like he had an entire life before we had a child together like he got to do everything um it's you know it ends up being like really a bit of great good luck on his part yeah, it's perfect for him. Like, it's everything's perfect for him the whole way through. It's it's amazing. Um, something that I've heard uh, ex-Flood guest Keir Milburn talk about um, in, like, talking about generational politics um, is he kind of, like, alters um, the, f- the quote of Stuart Hall's, um, which is, race is the modality through which classes live, to um, generation is the modality through class through which classes lived. And I thought it was... Like, th- this book really, really highlights that in a really good way, which I found really enjoyable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, I was writing it at a time, as I said, when, um, you know, I had a bit of a similar trajectory to Elizabeth's in, in being something of a, like, overachiever child who, <laughs> and teenager um, who then kind of, like, I guess graduated from uni and had a bit of a crisis of identity of, like, what the fuck happens now and... Yeah, it turns out that there's no jobs for yeah. overachievers, really. Like, or like, and let alone like fucking underachievers or people who've like from like Mary, who's coming from like a few steps back, like not a middle class background, has been going oh, fuck. Like, I'm so glad I got a degree to help me understand the world. Fuck you. Like, this does nothing for me. Yeah, exactly. And because you know, I um, very cleverly got a degree in anthropology. Like at that time in my mid twenties, I kind of came face to face with the rather startling realization that um yeah there were really there was really no good jobs for me and um so yeah I guess this was really on my mind in those days and honestly it doesn't bother me very much these days I I think I've come to terms with the fact that I'll probably always have a job but I don't think I'll ever have a career as such and that's okay with me um I guess partly because I'm you know I've found that I'm very interested in fiction writing and I want to continue pursuing that which you really can't do with a full-time career but yeah I, I guess I was thinking about this a lot and seeing this tension playing out in my life and my friends lives as well where the sort of pathways to middle class success which our parents had um, to, to a large extent and my parents certainly had um, despite you know my dad being the first person in his family to go to uni he got a PhD um, both my parents were um, you know they did PhDs and had a reasonable expectation of having good solid academic jobs afterwards um whereas that's just not at all the case for someone of my generation so yeah i i guess that i was interested in playing that idea out in fiction but 
trying to do so in a, in a sort of light touch way. The characters only have one direct conversation about it where Mari's kind of taking the piss out of Jack for, you know, oh, everything was much easier for you. Um, you know, your generation has a lot easier. So they're conscious of it, but, you know, I also wanted them to talk like normal people, which is which, which means not having these, like, intense theoretical political discussions, but rather letting it play out through their lives and their interactions. Yeah, actually, that was probably the only thing for me that didn't read real, was that these people were not just, like, total wankers, like, <laughs> self-analyzing and, like, having these, like, long political discussions, being like, well, actually, Jack, because if you've read, you know, Keir Milburn and, you well, know, that like sort of thing. they're not like our friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, they're... Like, so many of them, like, said things that were very similar to my friends that when they didn't say some of the other things similar to our friends, I was like, well, what, this is bullshit. Like, why haven't they, why haven't read the same books as Yeah, me? Maddie, a uh, um, friend of the show, Maddie, who's been on, like, quite a few podcasts, was like, yeah, this is like if, this is like if our friend group fucked instead of doing jigsaws. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. But yeah, like, I, I feel like the only, it was really easy to see how, how this life is was just, like, laid out for, for like, our generation outside of this kind of accident of falling into a political party and falling into a, a kind of political, uh, yeah. like, institution that was trying to enact on the world that they yeah. didn't. Yeah, and at first when I started writing, I guess, the very first version of what would become this novel, although, yeah, it, it, it didn't really, it, it took many forms. Um, but when I kind of, I guess, started writing a novel set in Brisbane, set among people who were a lot like my friends. Um, initially, I was like, yeah, well, I'll have them be politically involved because that's what we were and that's kind of what shapes our lives and what's, what gives so much, like, richness to our experiences, not only in politics but also our social lives. Um, but I found that I could not write it. I don't know why. Like, it's, it was super interesting to me and I haven't figured out whether anyone ever has written, like, a good novel about being involved in politics. Um but for whatever reason, it just didn't make it well onto the page. That doesn't shock me. It feels like it feels like it would just be too self, like it would read too self impressed, or like yeah, yeah. I can't imagine it working. No. So in the end, like yeah, these characters are sort of. I think their situation is maybe more true to life for most young people, where they have these ideas about power and privilege and, and politics and the way things work in lives, but they. These ideas are very abstract and very rarely put into practice. And, um, you know, they are encountered, but they're not um, necessarily consciously, like, mulled over that much. And if they are, it's kind of like how, how it manifests through the individual. Like, you know, Mary can, can say to Jack, like, oh, you know, you've got it easy in this way, you've got it easy in that way. And, you know, they can talk about it, but none of them, that there's no vehicle other than the individual through which you might kind of enact any sort of political thing which is which is much more true to how almost everyone of our generation experiences life and experiences these structures anyway i thought it yeah and also like you know these characters are they're not just discussing it for the sake of it like this is all playing out in their interpersonal dynamics with one another like the reason mari is saying this to jack is because this is part of her dynamic with him where she kind of teases him a lot and he um pretends to be sort of more at her mercy than he really is um yeah, their, their political consciousness is kind of very intertwined with their personal relationships, which, are, again, I think is kind of probably how most of us interact in the world. Yeah, surely, <laughs> surely. But, yeah, I think making them trying to write, polit- like, a really rich polit- people with a really rich political consciousness would make it much harder to actually kind of talk about how these structures really manifest across people's lives because they wouldn't... Yeah, there's the way that, like, generation kind of is, is merging into class in this particular form because of property uh, and the asset bubble and stuff like that just doesn't work if people are trying to articulate it in the same way, I think. Yeah, certainly not in fiction. Like, it's sort of the first rule of, of writing fiction, I guess, is show, don't tell. And um, if you're trying to write a novel where politics is present... Um, yeah, it wouldn't work to tell people like you. Because the, the deal that you make with the reader as a fiction writer is some is, is very different um, to the deal that you make with a reader as a non-fiction writer. And so I think, yeah, these issues of power and so on are always going to be a little more in the background. Unless um, you're writing a novel, I talked about this on Radio Reversal actually when I did that show a few weeks ago, but if you're writing a novel, like the one I always think about is, um, is The Mars Room by um, Rachel Kushner, which is an amazing book and I really, really highly recommend it. And it's set 
in um, a maximum security women's prison in California. Um, and it is like, yeah, super up close and personal with power and these structures of power and race, class, gender, and all of these, the ways that they work and, and the prison industrial complex in the US. But it works because of the setting, basically. Like, you know, the prisons are where we're up close and personal with power. Um, most of the time, like for most people, not not everyone, but like most of the time in our everyday lives, like power functions a lot more subtly. And that's, you know, that's the nature of it. That's why it works. Yeah. And I think ha- having these characters kind of articulate articulate that these relationships really clearly would have been really patronizing as a reader because you've been like, you're kind of like using their dialogue to be like, to tell the audience, hey, I'm not sure if you're getting what I'm doing here, but actually it's like this. Yeah, and- that's my fucking pet hate. I just hate that so much when I come across it. Like, I once read a novel, uh, we'll remain unnamed, like literally Name a bit names. of dialogue in that novel. <laughs> no, never. Um, literally there was a bit of dialogue that said, the patriarchy is alive and well today. <laughs> At that point I was like, you know what, I'm not going to finish this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you see it all the time. And I, and again, I think it's because, like, who actually gets to write novels and publish novels is this, like, again, this, like, self-consciously... Um, like, politically educated, like, via the university, um, this Demily Mobile Millennial, like, riding through the university, but who, who don't have the the experience of writing, of, of existing in a political institution and seeing, you know, just, like, I imagine seeing, like, all the people door-knocking on the way that, like, normal people kind of relate to their position within a political power structure, that much more helpful than the way that people learn about it in, a, in an academic setting. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I hadn't actually thought of. Um, and, you know, maybe I just like to pass it off as my own inherent genius and, and, you know, better understanding. But I think you're probably right. And, you know, I've written before about door knocking and how it saved me from being an academic, basically. Um, and people always ask, or not always, but I have had people ask before, like, um, do you use your door-locking experience like in your fiction like do you ever take note of things and, and use it in your work and the answer is really no like honestly when I go door-locking it's it's nice just to turn my brain off a bit and like not be in that mode but I think you're probably right in that it's worked on worked on my life in these more subtle ways which have led me towards yeah not you know not intellectualize not over intellectualizing everything and trying to see things more like from life than from you know, Twitter or theoretical texts or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't know. What else? What else is there to say about this book other than that I enjoyed it? And the only, like, the deeply unrealistic thing as far as I was concerned was um, how good Jack is at sex. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said to you, like, the one thing you have to suspend disbelief for is that there's such a thing as a hot 44-year-old man. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I just hope readers go along with, with the ride on that one. Um, it's become a bit of a, a running joke in our friend group about, like, how horny my book is. <laughs> and honestly, like, I guess I, I was expecting more commentary on that aspect. Um, there are quite a few sex scenes, but so far, like, none of the reviews have mentioned it. So maybe it's not actually that horny. That surprises me, to be honest, because, like, I think it could be... I, I wouldn't be, like, surprised to hear it described as erotic fiction at times. Like, there's obviously a lot more going on, and I think because it's talking about these, like, really interesting characters, and because it's about, like, coming of age and a female friendship, it doesn't get framed like that. But, you know, like, I think you turn down some of the, like, subtlety in terms of how the characters interact with each other and how they understand themselves in the world, and you, like, cut out, like you know, 10% of the scenes that aren't the sex scenes. And this book is, like, you know, the best Mills and Boone ever written. (laughs) Yeah. It was funny to me because before I wrote this book, I couldn't write a sex scene to save my life. Like, that was really – they're not easy to write. And I think sex scenes are one of the things where you have the least leeway as a writer to get it wrong. Like, if if you get it wrong, then it's going to come off really bad and really stilted. And, I've you know, I've read a lot of scenes like that. But – Ultimately, like, the reason that I'm interested in, in writing about sex is that um, it's a it's a setting where the characters sort of, um, you know, it's, it's very revealing of character, like whether or not they um, set out to reveal themselves. And I would say certainly like Elizabeth, for example, is very um, guarded. And she even says at one point, like, you know, I basically treat sex as masturbation. Like I, I sort of try and forget the other person is there. Um, 
but that in itself is revealing as the sort of person she is. And I think if you're scared of, of writing those scenes as, as a writer, um, you're sort of doing yourself and the reader a bit of a disservice or you're not, you're not getting as deep with the characters as you could be. Yeah, I thought um, the, I was surprised by how Jack and Marie's sex life developed um, and the, the, the dynamic of, of kind of domination that existed in it. Um, yeah. But I think it did add a lot to the characters. But it's domination that she is pushing, not him. And well, you know, people people say this about domination, right? That it's like it's always the sub who's who's the true dom because they're the person who fundamentally has to like call the shots on what's happening in a way. Yeah, totally. Um, and that was what I found more interesting: the fact that like he's not really into it, or you know, he he is, but he he'll he'll go along with it basically. Which again, like he just goes along, whatever. Um, Whereas, you know, there's something in Mari that does seek out domination. And she even says at one point, like, you know, she'd let Jack use her and a part of her had probably sorted out. And I think that's true to an extent. And it might, is probably unfashionable to say, but like in these relationships of, I don't, I don't mean like seriously abusive, like really, really terribly abusive relationships. But I mean, in, in a relationship like this, where there's an element of domination and, and submissiveness, like I think the person who's more interested in being dominated may seek it out. And so, yeah, I kind of wanted to get to that dynamic. And she also, like, she is a sort of, not everything has to be, um, you know, healthy and self-actualized in, in sex lives. Like, Mari's a, like, she's had a difficult time and she's not what you call a mentally healthy person. And sometimes that comes out in her relationship to sex, not necessarily in terms of being dominated, but just the way that she uses it in her life. Like, there's a scene where she has a really difficult um, uh, conversation with Elizabeth and feels like really, really bad about herself afterwards. And then she goes off and has like some of the absolute worst sex I think um, that she's ever had um, with Jack and she makes him do it and she does it to punish herself. Um, so, you know, like, I guess those scenes are somewhat confronting. Yeah, she is. She's such a self-destructive character. It's um, I don't know. I feel I feel quite protective about Mari. Really. Yeah, I know. I think she's probably the person I would most like. Like out of the three of them, I'd most like to be friends with. Yeah, because her her flaws are the most understandable, and yeah, her lack of self-esteem is is something where you're like, oh, but like, you're you're alright. Like, you'll you'll get there. You know, like if, she's the sort of person who you feel like being a really decent friend to would help most, if you know what I mean. Whereas I think being like a very like close and, and good friend to either Elizabeth or Jack wouldn't really change them in any meaningful way. But mm-hmm. I think Marie experiencing a really like fulfilling, healthy friendship would really change how she exists in the world and change how she, how she feels in herself. Yeah, but because she's, um, you know, she yeah she has that element of sort of looking for people who are going to walk all over her in her life. Like, you know, we find out early on that she um, had a relationship with a teacher when she was in high school uh, which you know he obviously was taking some extreme advantage and um, then she's got this um, friendship with Elizabeth who kind of again like controls her and um, is the the dominating person in that relationship Um, partly because she's a bit in love with her Um, so maybe we can talk about that actually because I feel like Elizabeth gets a bit of bad rap but things aren't easy for her either um, but then, and then yeah. she kind of goes into this relationship with Jack, which is also quite self-destructive. Yeah, I think I just found Marie much more interesting than Elizabeth. Um, but you're right, like Elizabeth and the way that she she never really fully gets what like what it is that she loves so much about Mary. Like she never really understands why she's so drawn to this person. Is really yeah. Cool. And if I had to say, you know, I think that Mary represents everything that she isn't that she feels. Um, you know, and and she's all these characters are really blind in the way that they see each other. Like they, you, you know, they, they see one aspect and, and then there's so much that they don't see. So to Elizabeth, Mari just represents, like she sees her as such a free person. Like, so um, yeah, such a free spirit. I think my, my editor, that was her, those were her words when she was describing Mari. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but, you know, below the surface is like this ocean of self doubt and, and, alienation from herself and um you know feelings of inadequacy and uh worthlessness and not being loved um but elizabeth doesn't really see that or if she does she sort of ignores it and she kind of sees her as this very desirable person who's 
um, able to kind of be so much freer in the world than she is. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from, yeah, Marie's obviously like incredibly charismatic in the way that people who, in the way that people with a lot of self-doubt sometimes are, right? Like, because it's such an easy, it's such an easy way of kind of deflecting from, from those self-doubts is just to, to carry a conversation and to be the kind of the, the socially most capable and competent person in a room. No one would ever kind of assume that you've got a lot of self-doubt there. So I think, yeah, you can see what, what Elizabeth is in love with there. What else? I don't know. What does what does Elizabeth want out of life? She's such a frustrating character. Yeah, I don't know. Like, she just wants to control everything and have everyone, like, do what she says 100% of the time. Um, as- yeah, she, I mean, she wants the sort of life that she would have been able to get if she was, you know, if she was born 15, like, well, 30 years earlier, you know, where she, like, is able to become, like, you know, where she's able to become Germaine Greer and, like, buy a huge block of land somewhere on like the, the north coast and have like this array of young lovers yeah hell yeah <laughs> um yeah you know there's a point in the book where she kind of fantasizes about having jack's life in some way like she says like when he's not in his in his apartment like sometimes i think about you know i just imagine that it's me who lives there alone and all his things his beautiful things belong to me um which is i think maybe her yeah like her sort of fantasy in in, in that stage of the book um, that she wants to have the sort of power and status that he has. And and I think she kind of always does, to be honest. Like, not even power and status, just, like, the sort of material stability that kind of goes with that, that goes with the power and status, rather. Yes and um, no. I think, like, yeah, you're right that she kind of comes from that middle-class background and she's never going to be truly precarious. Like, you know, when shit hits the fan in her personal life, she just goes back to her parents' lovely house in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. But, you know, at the same time, like, I kind of, like I said, I modelled her a little bit off my own circumstances where um, she's been a success daughter like all her life and then suddenly is like, oh, wait, hang on, I actually haven't achieved all the things people thought I was going to achieve. Um, And, you know, really I should be the tenure track academic owning an apartment in West End. But, you know, because of the circumstances of my generation, I just probably am not going to be. And she's kind of pissed off about that. Um, and I also think- Yeah, hang on. I'm smarter than Jack. Like, why is he- Yeah, yeah like, you 100%. can see her kind of increasingly realising that, like, she's she's smarter than Jack. She's got more going on than Jack. Like, she's she's a she's a better thinker and, like, in, in, in most ways, like, much more capable of acting on the world than this person. So what the fuck is she doing? Like, hanging out with him? <laughs> totally. And I think- um, certainly at the start of the book, like if I had to, if, if I had to say what she really wants is to be taken seriously as a person and as a sort of intellect and just to be, to kind of escape the role that most young women have to play in the world, which is, yeah, sort of someone that no one takes seriously for whatever reason. And she's quite self-aware about it. And she sees Jack, her relationship with Jack as a bit of a pathway towards that. Like, you know, here's this person who's who is taken seriously because he's a man and, you know, white middle-aged academic and he's got a lot of authority in the world and, you know, as his partner, maybe I can slot into some of that. And she quickly realises that um, that's not going to be the case, (laughs) among other things, because Jack is, like, completely terrified of being Me Too'd and doesn't want to be um, seen publicly with, like, a much younger woman. And that's, like, one of the... I, I do get some of the hatred, like I said, um, towards him and that's one of the points at which I really do feel frustrated with him because again he wants to have it both ways like he wants to fuck this young woman or you know, not just fuck they're in a relationship but he doesn't want to like own the consequences of that publicly yeah I remember at one point being like like thinking to myself like what what does Jack actually you know like what does Jack see in these these young women like why is he like doing this and then it was so easy to be like, well of course like of course he does like he gets to have fun for the first time in his life and he gets to have sex with these beautiful young women who want to have sex with him. Like, of course he's, he's loving this. It's as good as it gets. Like, but he never wants to kind of acknowledge to himself that he's someone who wants to have sex with beautiful young women. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. That's like the total tension in his character is like, I want to do these pleasurable things that I know is like somewhat morally questionable, but I don't ever want to admit to myself that that's what I'm doing. Like, I need to see myself as a good guy and I need everyone else to see me as a good guy. Um, but, you know, it's only morally questionable because you want to hide it. Like, if he was if he was able to just be like, well, you know, like, I, t- I take these people seriously. Like, and he does obviously really, like, I think he does genuinely respect both of these people's personhood, like, in a really deep way. Like, I don't think either of these women uh, are, like, 
debasing themselves in front of him, even if they, they you know, if Murray in particular sometimes is. But, like, neither of them are, like, don't get understood as full complex people by him. Like, he, he does respect them fundamentally. Like, it's not morally questionable, except that it might, like, seem iffy to someone who doesn't know the situation. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Although I think his relationship with Mari is a bit morally questionable, not in a way that I think that, like, um, I don't know, someone who read the book was like, I think that is an abusive relationship. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. Personally, I, I didn't see it that way. It's more that she's in love with him and he knows it and, like, continues to have sex with her while, like, never giving her any type of emotional commitment. Um, but again, it's that, like, you know, that's morally bad, but it doesn't mean that should be illegal sort of thing. Um, what was I getting to? Yeah, you're right. I don't think it's – yeah, there's nothing like that wrong with it, but he does care a lot about what other people think, more so than either of the two women. Um, so he's constantly assessing, like, the image of himself in the world and how it looks, and that's, like, I guess his um, – what kind of leads to him sort of being a bit of a dick to them sometimes. I mean, like, he is. Like, he, you know, he is a dick to them, like, particularly to Mary. But, like, oh, man – yeah, he's, I don't know, it's just, it's so frustrating reading this, like, this, like, perfect fail son. Like, he's such a perfect, and, like, and I think that's the way that I most related to him as, like, as this perfect fail son who's, like, you know, in many ways really obsessed with how he's understood as other people and basically incapable of acting on the world and yet living this way. I thought, um, actually, the, I was going to say before, Elizabeth is the only character who's capable of acting on the world. Like, no yeah. one can make anything happen except her. She's the only one who can yeah, do it. Yeah, she's a success daughter. Um, although, you know, the, the circumstances of her life have sort of, like, diverted her path from the traditional success daughter path. Like, she is still one at heart. And she will, like, yeah, she's never going to be helpless. Like, Jack says at some point, like, you're the kind of person who's always going to be okay. Um, and I like that about her. Um, but, yeah, that that very quality of being able to act in the world and being, um, you know, a little bit more assertive, shall we say, can also sometimes, like, turn bad in her personal relationships. Like, she acts on the world very much selfishly sometimes. Like, she's really out for herself. Yeah, I mean, I think her ability to act on the world would be fine if if it was accompanied by a mature person with, like, a mature sense of self. But, <laughs> yeah. but she's, like, completely incapable of developing that as well, like, incapable of understanding... Like, particularly because of her, like, really close relationships with these two people who can't do anything, like, can't make anything happen, that you've got a certain responsibility as, like, an actor, like, as an agent, when you're with these two, like, non-agent kind of, like, like close interpersonal relationships. Yeah, which is something she completely issues. Like, um, Mari at some one point sort of tries to say, like, you know, you... So, so yeah, when, when Mari falls pregnant and then tells Elizabeth, Elizabeth is just like, no, fuck you, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Like, this is when she goes to her parents' house on the Sunshine Coast and she actually doesn't see Mari or Jack again for, um, I think, like five or six years, um, which is an incredibly selfish decision, especially because Mari is really struggling, like I said, after the birth of her child. And she know, Elizabeth knows that um, and she still doesn't do anything to help. Um and Mari, she just doesn't take her obligations to to other people. Like she just acts like she's she doesn't have them. So yeah. frustrating. <laughs> and Mari, at, towards the end of the book, says something like that. Like you know, you you really just left me alone, and you acted like it was all about you and your hurt feelings. And Elizabeth kind of can't really see her point. She's kind of like, but it is all about me and my hurt feelings. You don't understand. My feelings are really hurt. <laughs> um, so. I guess, yeah. Even... I mean, part of this as well is that Elizabeth isn't able to grasp that neither of these characters can act on the world, like, in the way that she can, like, in, in the way of, like, people who, who who do have this, like, capacity to act. They never really get why some people are just floundering constantly. And, like, I don't know. I have a bit of sympathy with Elizabeth. I sort of get it, um, like, the kind of um, fixation on, yeah, your own hurt feelings can be a really tough thing to get past. And it is fucking, like, very hurtful imagine if your supposed best friend went off and slept with your ex-boyfriend without telling you about it then fell pregnant and was like yeah i'm keeping the baby and you were like and just sort of expected you to be okay with that like yeah you'd be really upset <laughs> yeah you'd be, like you no, know, it's like like i'm sympathetic to being like you know what fuck off i'm out but you you do actually have to realize you've got obligations to this to this person but you know i think for for both reasons with like with with marie because she's in love with her and, like, sees her as this, like, 
this kind of caricature of herself, really. It's just this charismatic, like, beautiful kind of lady. She can't, like, grasp that this person doesn't have the capacity to act that she does. And same with Jack, you know, because he's got this material security and he's all the things that she wants to be, she can't grasp that this this fucker is just, like, water going down. I mean, (laughs) you you make it sound so, like, well thought through and neat, uh, and I would love to say that I intended all of this, but really, like, a lot of this wasn't really in my mind. Um, But it's interesting, and I think, you know, I agree with everything you're saying, but it's really interesting to, to sort of witness how a lot of these character, like their motivations sort of come together um, without necessarily my conscious intention of it being that way, but it does sort of work like that. Yeah, I, I, like I really noticed like just talking talking with you about it, how much it feels like talking about people who really exist, where it's just yeah. like, well, I would say this, but this person would say, you know, but other people would kind of read their relationship like this or whatever, and the way that like with these complex people, Everyone's kind of got their own understanding of how it's happening and everyone's kind of right, but everyone's kind of wrong as well. It's it's, it's very satisfying. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just find it interesting like how many people um, have trouble ca- with characters who aren't categorised as good or bad easily, I mean, like that don't fit into those categories. And to me, that's like the the main reason I read fiction and, and that's like my favourite thing to find is someone who doesn't, who seems more like a real person basically than a fictional character. Um but it does sort of seem to cut against what a lot of people expect to fiction. So that's interesting to me anyway. I mean, I feel like people do this as well. Like even when people like narrativize their own lives, like, you mm. know, it's, it's easy to turn like an ex into like a baddie or, you know, a parent who, you know, who didn't fulfill their parental obligations to you properly as like, you know, fundamentally a bad person as opposed to, you know, people who fail, you know, whose worst traits take, take over at key points rather than, you know, just like, much more two-dimensional yeah totally um yeah well i think maybe that's a good spot to end on um unless you have other thoughts yeah i i also just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about just like your experience of of people reading it and the way that like the the way that all these different like conversations that you would have had like you know with me or with other people about like oh this person does that you know you've, you've touched on a little bit but like what's that experience been of of people kind of reading your work um yeah, so far, like, so good, I think. Um, it's been interesting to me, like, a couple of things, I guess, that came through. Uh, well, well, A, like, you know, as, as we've talked about, like, people just hating on Jack for, <laughs> for what I feel are sometimes unfair reasons and sometimes not unfair reasons. Um, B, I guess the other interesting thing is that quite a few people have been like, yeah, you know, these characters are really enigmatic. I just couldn't get a handle on them. And then some other people have said, um, you know, like friends of mine and also like, you know, industry reviewers and so on have been like, you know, these characters are so psychologically vivid and so real on the page. So again, I guess it comes down to subjective, you know, think, things being subjective. Um, so I guess as the author, you really have no perspective on these things. Um, and when the book goes out into the world, people will have their own relationships with it. And that is sort of confronting in a way because obviously you can't control that. But it's also really rewarding because that's kind of a large part of like why you do it. Like the, you know, as, as a reader, as someone who's always like reading is probably like at the center of my life, really. Um, my favorite thing is, is when I can form a relationship with a book and feel like it's either reflected some part of my experience or I felt understood by it or, or that I, or that it kind of, you know, gives me a lot to think about or like, you know, that it, it and I are in some kind of relationship or dialogue. And the interesting thing about that relationship is that it really doesn't include the author at all. Like I never think about uh, the authors of my favorite books. I don't give a shit. And so there's something like a little bit weird about that as an author, but also sort of comforting because like, you know, ultimately you're not being perceived as much as you might think. <laughs> I think um, I like what's been really wonderful for me reading it is I got to have that relationship you're describing, but also have a relationship with the author. Like it's, it's actually <laughs> yeah. really great to be like, you know, like I had, you know, I thought about it a lot and I were like related to the characters and I feel very like seen by it. Right. Because it's, it's talking about the community I grew up in, in, you know, like, you know, people kiss against a brick wall and I know which brick wall is being referred to. Like all this sort of stuff is really, really lovely, but then also to kind of, to read it, and relate to the characters and be able to go to the author and be like, oh, this is what I thought. And, you know, and, and 
like chat shit about the characters with the author has been like an absolute revelation it's like i reckon try having a relationship with the author next time you love a book <laughs> well i'm afraid to because then what if like they're not who i th- you know what if they turn out to be a disappointment or you know they and i completely disagree about something like <laughs> yeah what if they don't get their own book exactly what if they get it wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool well um Thanks so much for letting me let me have this opportunity. Like as I said, because yeah, Declan and um, a lot of other people came to my book launch a few oh, like a month ago now actually, and um, there was a conversational interview as part of it. And like someone afterwards was like, "Was it weird having someone ask you such in-depth questions about your book?" And I said, "No, like finally someone's getting on my level." So um, yeah, it was a real treat to do this show and. I do apologise, like for the niche nature of it and the self-promotional aspect, um, but hopefully no, it was somewhat it. interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, like a long-standing policy: everyone who writes a book um, who's part of the Flood editorial team simply must come on and talk about their book. No, I, it was such a, it was such a pleasure to read. It was really it's really nice to be able to talk about a book that someone wrote without and like talk about it honestly without kind of worrying that I'm going to, you know, offend someone. Well, them. yeah, glad to. Glad to have given you the opportunity then. Um, and Between You and Me is available now from all good bookstores. We'll put like a link to buy it, I guess, in the show description. Like once again, I'm sorry, but I have to do it. Um, and um, yeah, we'll be- no, You absolutely should buy Joe's book. It's very important. It's very important to Joe that uh, this book sells many, many copies. If you do see a way to buy a copy, if it sounds interesting or up your alley, I would really appreciate it. Bye, bye, bye. Bye.